every celebrity, their thought on Thursday and Friday would be, how do we skip the day? Beckham just flipped that on his head. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Glad to say that the uh, football writer Jonathan Wilson is on the line. Morning, Jonathan. Morning. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks, William, for uh, for joining us this morning. Um, one, obviously, to talk about England. A uh, couple of games upcoming. Um, an interesting time for in- to talk English football, and obviously ahead of the World Cup. Um, Talk to us first of all, maybe just about the like obviously the rocky patch that's come for England in the recent uh, Nations League matches. Um, Gareth Southgate has had the appropriately labelled dreaded vote of confidence uh, from the FA in the meantime as well. And two really tough games to come now. Um, effectively, I mean, I guess their final comp- competitive warm-up games uh, for the World Cup. What's the mood music around Gareth Southgate at the minute? Uh, I, I don't think he's, he's under pressure as such in that I, I have absolutely no doubt that he will be England's coach at the World Cup. Um, but there's definitely a, a negativity there which hasn't been there uh, in the six years he's had the job. Uh, and I, 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 Personally, I find that really, really weird. Uh, I don't think he's perfect by any means. I think there's certain things you can criticise him for. But fundamentally, he's taken England to two of the five semi-finals they've ever reached. He's only lost three out of 41 games in either the World Cup or the European Championship um, he's England have only ever won 14 knockout games in major tournaments he's responsible for five of them so his his level of achievement stands up against any previous manager uh, but those Nations League games in the summer were were hugely disappointing um, and the, to lose 4-0 at home against anybody when you're England is, is a humiliation to do it against Hungary Um it is particularly so. I think there's all kinds of reasons for those results. I think everybody was exhausted in June. I think nobody particularly wanted to play those games. Um, the Nations League, personally, I think has been a very, very good thing. Maybe this edition of it, because of COVID, because of the compacted nature of the season, because of the World Cup coming in in, you know, in the winter, which has compressed the calendar even further, they feel a bit more of an imposition than the first two editions did. So, the, the, yeah, there's a... There's an unease about Southgate, which which hasn't been there. I don't think it's anything like what we've seen for previous England managers. And I, th- I think the moment it might lead to leaving the job is December, not now. Uh, obviously, Jonathan, the fact that uh, you know England will lose or will be relegated from their Nations League group if they lose tomorrow night adds to the pressure. But do you think we'd be even talking about Southgate being under pressure if this wasn't England and this wasn't the English media uh, speaking to him in press conferences? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I just don't know what people expect. Um, I think what he's done has been extraordinary. I think he's been by far the best English manager of England manager of my lifetime. Um, but that, that that's that arrogance which is always there in English football, which which yeah, I think probably had to to an extent be, been been dampened down after the the pretty horrendous performances in the World Cup in 2014 and in the year 2016. I think that's back. Uh, I, I found that even the attitude around the Euros is very, very strange that um, yeah, England got through the group comfortably enough and there was a lot of, oh, this is really boring, they're playing negative football. You still think it's a group, just get through it, that's all it's there for. Um, and this sort of idea, oh, it's a really easy group. I mean, they literally started against Croatia, the team who beat them in the World Cup semi-final. It's, that's clearly not an easy game, but England won it. So 
But rather than giving them credit for that, there was a sort of, well, of course they should beat Croatia. And then, you know, even against Germany, it's, oh, it's a weak Germany. England just beaten Germany in a major championship in a knockout game. You know, that, that hasn't happened since 1966 to, win, to beat Germany in a knockout game. Uh, and then they beat Ukraine 4-0. I mean, you know, what, what else do people want? Uh, so, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've sort of found the whole uh, nature of the discussion but both depressing in, in, in sort of this just sort of this sense of, oh, we're bored of this, we need a change, but also just totally unrealistic that you know, you, no team, doesn't matter how talented you are, how many great players you have, goes out in a major tournament and wins every game 4, 5, 6, 0. And it's not as if England have got a history of doing that in the entire history of football. So, yeah, I, personally, I think England should have, yeah, Sensatic should have been widely praised for getting to the final of the Euros rather than this sort of sense of underlying resentment. And you know, it's not even like they lost the final. I think the things went wrong in the final, but they drew it and lost on penalties, which, you know, uh, in a previous age, that might have been seen as a great achievement. There, there was that four-game slog in June as well, and, and I guess the way it ended in Molyneux with that 4-0 defeat by Hungary wasn't great. Um, like, is, is Southgate nearly a, a victim of the nature of international windows here? Like that, that was June. This is September. It's been three months. You know, it's not like the club game where you can you can address perform pretty quickly. The fact is, when you have a couple of bad games in a row at international level, that just hangs over until the next window. Yeah, well, I think there's there's two slightly separate aspects there with the calendar. So the first is those games in June, nobody wanted to be there. But yeah, journalists didn't want to be there. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I confess I barely paid those games any attention. Yeah, I, I watched them, but I wasn't sort of um, yeah reading reams about them because everybody was knackered after a, you know a very very intense period of football. With the you know the the season before that that season having been sort of lumped into the beginning of it, everybody was knackered. The players were clearly knackered. I, I think to read anything into those games um, would, would you know I think you've got to put them in, in in the context that they came in. So Southgate pays for that that the players really were exhausted and want to be there. But then we got this this sort of added problem of the World Cup being in November. So in a sense, those games came at the worst possible time because there are only these two matches coming up to to get over that and go into the World Cup. And England could play really well against Italy and Germany and lose both games. And so suddenly they're going to the World Cup having failed to win their six previous games. And I think the nature of this World Cup, I don't know, I don't know if people have sort of really realised how ludicrous it is that, you know, I look back at the, the five previous World Cups this century and the gap between the Champions League final and the start of the World Cup, uh, I think the average is 20 days. And that's the Champions League final. So domestic season would have finished a week or 10 days before that. So a lot of players effectively will have had a month between the end of their season and the start of the World Cup. This time, we got seven days between the last Premier League fixtures and the start of the World Cup. So if you're, um, uh, I think, Ecuador, the team who are going to be worst affected, so uh, Moises Caicedo will probably play for Brighton on that Sunday um, and uh, Estupinian also for, for, for Brighton. And then a week later, they're going to be playing against Qatar in the first game of the World Cup. Well, a week is is no time at all. Um, so there's, there's absolutely no preparation time. And I, I think you can see a parallel of what happened to the Cup of Nations this year, where because of various COVID regulations, 
uh, a lot of teams only got together five, six, seven days before the Cup of Nations began. And those first, that first round of group games at the Cup of Nations were incredibly boring, incredibly negative, incredibly cautious because nobody was properly prepared and every single coach was just like, don't lose the first game before we've got ourselves set up. So those first eight matches, there was an average of 1.12 goals. The next, you know, every, every game after that, there was an average of 2.08 goals per game. So it, it almost doubled. And I think we'll probably see something pretty similar at the World Cup, that first round of games. Nobody will quite be ready. And so the level of football and, and, and the, the level of ambition in those first games will be pretty limited. One of the other areas of pressure, obviously, coming in Garitaka is, is that some of those more experienced players that you would think that in the context of everything you've just said, uh, given timelines, that you would probably look to try and lean on a little bit more, have been out of form or you know not playing many games for the club, or in some cases, uh, both of those things. How does that impact um, when you start to look at a starting eleven for the next couple of games and into the World Cup? Does he, does he try to rely on some of the experience that haven't been playing, or is this a bit of a blank canvas and we're going to see some uh, freshening up of that team? I think it's going to be a mix of the two. I mean, uh, clearly Jordan Pickford's injured, so he he won't play. So there's going to be effectively a runoff for the second and third goalkeeping places. Nick Pope, I I think, is probably pretty much nailed on for second place. But whether it's Henderson or Ramsdale for the third place, I think that'll be decided. Uh, Eric Dyer, who's been out of the picture for 18 months, has been in great form this season. I think for me, he becomes the first choice uh, of a central of the three centre-backs. Um, so he presumably will will start both games to get get him back in. Uh, you, you then think, well, there's a bit of an issue on the left side of the, of the three centre backs, and I think both these games we probably will see a back three for the bulk of them because I think Southgate's policy is he plays that back three with the two holding players in games where he he doesn't expect England to dominate the ball comfortably when England can be relied upon to dominate the ball. So, for instance, that first game of the World Cup against Iran. You would expect England to have, you know, sixty, sixty-five percent possession. I think that will be a four-three-three. But obviously, against Germany and Italy, they're going to be those games where England have to defend a bit more. So I think it will, at least from the start, probably be a back three in these two games. So the left side of defender, ideally, I think would be Harry Maguire. But Maguire has been out of form for, you know, a year, eighteen months. And so then you think, well, do you play Maguire to get him some minutes because he's not playing for Manchester United to try and get him back into the, into the swing of things? Uh, I think he and Dyer we've seen work well together before. The Dyer, I think, is, is very good at organising, and Maguire probably is a player who needs to be to be directed. Or do you look at the possible replacements, Margahi, uh, Fikai Tomori, both of whom are quite inexperienced? And that, I think, is a really difficult decision as to, as to whether you try and give experience and, and test out the players who could come in, or whether you try and play your... your, your 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 senior player back into form. And I think that kind of question is popping up all over the place. So the forward line, I think, is pretty much, yeah, it will be Kane and Sterling and one other. I think that's that's not really a problem. But there's issues right across the defence that the wing-backs, you know, Kyle Walker hasn't started the season particularly well. Ben Chilwell's barely been playing. So do you play Trippier on the right or do you play him on the left? Uh, do you play Reese James as a right-sided centre-back or do you play Stones and play... Um, Rhys James is the right wing-back. Then at the back of midfield, Declan Rice hasn't had a great start of the season. I think he's nailed on to start. Ideally, probably one of Calvin Phillips alongside him because Calvin Phillips has the best range of passing of players in that position. Um, I think he, his capacity to get the ball forward quickly is something that no other England player gives you from that position. 
but he's injured. Mm. So then Jordan Henderson, who's been injured for Liverpool, was a late call to the squad as he recovered quicker than expected from injury. Do you put him in? Or do you say, actually, we're going to go with something totally new and bring in Jude Bellingham, who I think has probably been the the best England midfielder on form so far this season, but isn't really that profile of holding player and probably would prefer the 4-3-3 that England may use against Iran, but probably won't use in these two warm-up games, or these two Nations League games. Uh, Harry Maguire is a, a fascinating case study, Jonathan. I mean, as you say, his form's been well. His form's been brutal, but obviously he hasn't been playing uh, to be brutal in recent weeks. Um, like Southgate has been a man who's always spoke about the, the you know the importance of club form when you come into an international duty, and yet, as you say, Maguire's one of the most senior players in that squad. He gets on very well, you know, with, with Stones with Dyer in the back. It, it would be very strange though for for a player not playing whatsoever at club level to be starting World Cup games for a team like England? Uh, it would be, but I, I, I guess um, sometimes needs must. And I think the the, the the thing you can say in defence of Harry Maguire is, apart from that Denmark game, when he was sent off and was dreadful in the half hour before he was sent off, uh, he's been pretty good for England all the way through. And I think he's a better player on the left of a back three than he is in a back four. Um, I think he remains very dominant in the air. So if he has Eric Dyer directing him, um, sorry, that sounds patronising, I don't mean it to be patronising, but somebody else taking on that that burden of, of organisation I think suits him. I think also you've got to think of the attacking threat he brings. So he's been a regular goal scorer under Southgate because he is so good in the air and set plays have been an England strength under Southgate. So I think Southgate would probably be loath to, to, to lose that. I also think Maguire's just one of those players who, who other players like and when you're cooped up 26 of you in a hotel for, for a month, that is not an insignificant aspect. So, I mean, Maguire, I think, has to be in the assuming he's fit, has to be in the squad. If he's in the squad, you don't want him to be a dead weight, so therefore you need him playing. And so I think probably at least the Italy game, he, he will start. And as long as he's not disastrous, he probably will start that game against Iran in the World Cup. Having said that, if it's a back four, maybe he is a man to stand down. But the first game we play a back three at the World Cup, I would expect him to be to be in. You mentioned Jordan Henderson returning to the to the squad there from injury, and and I know Calvin Phillips has been a man that that's really excelled at international level under Southgate, and and has got a lot of game time. He's only played the minute for for Man City since joining from Leeds uh, this summer. Obviously, been curtailed by injuries, but is this an opportunity? massively come knocking for Jordan Henderson to kind of maybe get that place back ahead of the World Cup? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it is. Um, and I think the fact that he is so... It would be very easy for him not to turn up for this squad uh, to say, I'm just getting over my injuries. But he's clearly desperate to get back in and wants to prove himself and prove his fitness and, and prove that that partnership with Rice can can function, can work. And I think Henderson is probably a better passer than people give him credit for. Uh, but I think he's also, and you see this with, with with Liverpool, what a great leader he is, that he he talks constantly. Um, so low Harry Kane is the notional captain. I think it's yeah, Henderson is a sort of spiritual captain, if you like. He's the one who sort of um, keeps everyone on their toes, keeps the shape right. And in England, probably need that because the, the nature of international teams is you, you obviously don't train together as much as club sides. And therefore, the pressing is not quite as instinctive as it will be at club level. And having somebody there organising it, and the fact Henderson does it at Liverpool, the team who went on song are the best pressing team probably in the world, that's a very useful asset to have. Calvin Phillips's quick forward passing is a very useful asset to have. 
But yeah, I think if Henderson plays one and a half of these two games and plays well, that probably gets him in for the World Cup, given that that Phillips isn't isn't playing Manchester City at the moment, even when he is fit. Those uh, those forward options. I mean, you mentioned Kane and Sterling, Jonathan. Just looking at some of the the backup options, and granted, Marcus Rashford isn't in in this squad. He has a slight uh, knock, but he's been in good form for, for United so far this season. Like looking at some of the maybe the other options, you've. Ollie Watkins, I know Callum Wilson and Calvert-Lewin are both injured at the minute as well. Tammy Abraham is an option uh, further down the pecking order. Uh, like uh, Beyond Kane and Sterling, who's, who's your third nailed-on attacking option for England at the minute? Well, I, I think um, you got who, who's back up for Kane? I think it's the first question there. And that seems to me a shootout between Tammy Abraham and Ivan Tony. I think it's significant Ivan Tony's been called up to this squad. I think it's right that he has been because I think he's been excellent this season. So... Yeah, I was trying to pick my, my 26 and I think it's possible that both Abraham and Tony could go because you might think, well, there could be games where with 15, 20 minutes to go, England need a goal and you want to play with two strikers. And if you know, if, if one of them's injured, you, you, know, you, you need a third one. So I think it's possible Abraham and Tony both go. Uh, but really, I think it is a shootout between them to be Kane's backup. You then have those that, that sort of array of, of wide forwards or forwards that can come from deeper. And I think with Kane, the, the way he drops off, you need players who can go beyond him, uh, which possibly counts against Phil Foden, brilliant, brilliant footballer that he is. Um, so Sterling clearly is is at the forefront of that because he and Kane work so well together and he had such a good Euros. Um, and then... I guess you're looking at somebody like Bukayo Saka, who, who and Saka is is incredibly useful because he can play both wing back positions as well. So he he offers you you, you cover all over. I'm slightly puzzled by Southgate's attitude to Jaden Sancho. Not necessarily now, but he clearly didn't particularly rate him in the summer. That when Sancho was in good form for Dortmund, he still wasn't the first choice for for England. So there's something there that, that Southgate thinks he doesn't doesn't quite do that he needs. Um. And then I guess you got Jack Grealish, who Southgate seems to like to use as a an impact player off the bench, and and I I, I get that I, I see the logic of that, the the, the Grealish's, um, he, yeah, his his dribbling ability is very very useful in terms of coming on against tired limbs, yeah, beating a man, getting across, possibly being fouled and getting a free kick or a penalty. We asked you at the start, uh, Jonathan, just about the general mood music around Gareth Southgate. And much as it is in any way possible to speak on behalf of an entire nation, uh, to wrap it, what's your expectation or what is the general expectation about how England can do at the World Cup? Uh, I mean, yeah, that, that's a question that's where you know, sort of realistic considerations almost don't exist. <laughs> um, I, I, I sort of, the older I get, the more disappointed I get in the world, in all honesty. Um, but yeah, you know, there's one of the, one of the problems with international football. Our problems, so no, that's not not fair. One of the uh, features of international football is a lot of people watch it who don't watch club football, and their expectations often seem totally unrealistic. Um, so I, I think that when the World Cup starts, there will be a lot of people think England should win the World Cup. Um, they'll think, oh, well, the semi finalists last time. Got to the finals, obviously logical progression to go semi-final, final, win it. Um, I think England can win the World Cup. Um, they're possibly in the best position to do well at the World Cup in my lifetime. But 
what's happened this year with those performances in, in June, with the injuries, with all the questions we've got now, I think there's an equal possibility that, that England could have a desperately bad World Cup. I also, that the group is almost as bad as it could possibly be in that it looks easy and it really isn't. That people will underestimate Iran and they will underestimate the USA and they will underestimate Wales. But all three of those are, are tricky games. And I, I think um, certainly when the draw was done, if you just averaged out the world ranking of each group, that group is, is I mean, it, it clearly isn't, but by world ranking, that group is the hardest group. Uh, so I, I worry that there will be um, a complacency about the Greek games that isn't justified. And that even saying they get through with seven points, as they did in the Euros, there'll be a sense of, of anticlimax and, oh, this isn't quite good enough. We should be battling these teams, which is totally unreasonable and unrealistic. Yeah, most of us are always destined to end up disappointment, uh, disappointed, uh, Jonathan, as you pointed out. Thanks a million. Enjoyed that. Cheers. Thank you. OTB. AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.